Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. Whether you're live or live stream, I'm Talbot Davis and I'm the pastor here. Always, always glad to connect with you, whether connecting with you in person or connecting with you digitally. And, and like the video just showed, this is the first Sunday. We, 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 we finished our series, the Happily Ever After series, four, series, four messages on moving from pretty weddings to to beautiful marriages. And now we're really going to take a look at, well, what is church for anyway? And today's message, if the, if the name of the series isn't clever enough, church, today's message has an even more creative title, The Church. And so to get us ready for that message called The Church, uh, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 in your Bible. This is one of those messages that actually comes from a couple of different places, all in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at some at 1 Timothy and some at 2 Timothy and some actually at Galatians and 1 Corinthians. And so if that flipping back and forth on the pages or scrolling on your phone is a little difficult. Good news is the words will be up on the screen at just the right time like they always are. And we go to those lengths because we believe that the biblical library, and, and yeah, the Bible is not a book. It is a library with a lot of authors writing in a lot of different writing styles over a long period of time. And today in these words that we're going to be looking at, the, the author is Paul, pastor and missionary and author. And the, the section of the library is correspondence. These are real letters to real people and real churches in real time. And all that's just kind of factual. But the thing that we really treasure here at this church, and you may not believe it yet, you may still be weighing the evidence. We like to be honest and open with the kind of church we are. And it's this, that in leadership here, we, we, we've decided by faith and we've done the research and we've excavated the history. And we believe by faith that there's no other library like this one on earth. God put his truth into its words. He put his beauty onto its pages. We really do believe that the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And because we believe that here, when we talk about the Bible at this church, we do something a little bit strange. We lift it up, and, it, and if you've never been here before and you've, you've never seen phones and Bible books and up in the air, and you're like, this is just a little bit odd. You know, we say, we admit it, but we've decided this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. There were a collection of people joyfully surrendered to the authority of the word and ready for its power to be let loose in our lives. Amen. And so before we, before I say anything else, let's pray. And before you pray, just look to the person to your left, even if you have to look all the way down the row, and then the person to your right. And you, would you just pray that those two people you saw just now, would you pray that the Lord speaks something beautiful and powerful to them in this message? So we'll begin silently and I'll wrap us up. So God, as we've prayed for the people around us, I ask that this entire community, from me as a proclaimer to those who receive the proclamation, God, that you would fill us from the bottom of our feet to the top of our heads with the power and the joy and the beauty of the Holy Spirit himself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, there, there are some things that you just 
don't do. Like if you're renting a house, let's say, which I know is, is the living arrangements for a good number of you. If you're renting a house, you don't go hire an architect and a general contractor and put a $100,000 addition onto that house that you're renting. Why not? It's not yours. Your responsibility at the end of your lease is to return that house to its rightful owner. In the same way, if you're at an Airbnb, at, at the end of your vacation in that Airbnb, your job is not to, hey, let's see some upgrades we can put in this Airbnb. Where No, your job, because it's not yours. Your job is to return it to its rightful own. If you're in an apartment, which again, I know a lot of you are living in an apartment, you, your job, you, you don't, well, let's just knock down some walls. I don't like the the arrangements in this apartment. Let's knock down a few walls. Give me some more living space. No, why? It's not yours. Your, your responsibility is to return it to the owner and get your deposit back. Can I have a, hear an amen for getting your deposit back? Getting your deposit back, only six months in advance now, get your deposit back by returning it to the owner in the same way you found. If you rent a car, you don't take that rental car to the shop to soup it up, give it some more horsepower, some more bling on the car. Your, your job is merely to return it to Avis or Hertz or National or whomever in the condition you borrowed it or you rented it. it speaking of borrowing, if you check out a book at the library, you don't take that book and put a customized cover on it so that it will be all yours because it's not yours. Your responsibility is to take that book that is not yours and return it to its rightful owner. And all these things that I've just listed, they're obvious. Everybody knows them. It may be made more obvious by the absurdity of pointing out the things that you do not do. Why your job and all those examples I just cited is to take this thing that does not belong to you and protect it and then return it to its rightful owner. And believe it or not, that whole concept has everything to do with this series that we are starting today called Church. Now, how's that for a clever time? I mean, I agonize for hours and hours and hours. How can we have the cleverest title ever? Church. And, and then this particular message called the church is really doubling down on all that creativity and you're, you're, you're welcome for that kind of effort. And when I, I say the church, I, I, I mean, I wanna spend a few minutes talking with you about the church in general, the church universal, not just this particular expression at Good Shepherd, but the church everywhere. Because it seems to me, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but it seems to me that, that, that people kind of everywhere, especially on, on social media, have a whole lot of opinions on what church is and, and why church is and what church should do and what church shouldn't do. And so I thought, what's well, it will be really helpful for us, especially in, in all this season of uncertainty, you know, as we still deal with pandemic and as we deal with all the aftermath of that, really helpful for us just to sit back and, and, and kind of soberly, reflectively think about, well, what is the church and why is the church? 
And, and how does that relate to, to you and to me and to all of us? Because like I said, it seems like everyone, everyone who has a platform and in, and in the age of social media, hello, everyone has a platform. Everyone has an opinion on what the church should be doing and what it should not be doing. And it seems to me that the people with the most certainty about what the church is and what it should be doing or shouldn't be doing actually have the least skin in the game. The, the people who are the most sure about it have the least experience in it. And that's fine, I, I, I guess. It, it, it's helpful to listen to, to, to critics and, and, and to people beyond, but, uh, but it, doesn't it make sense for us to think about, well, let's not just be reactive and, and, and reflective because of what accusations the church gets. It was interesting, a, a few months ago, there were the Roman Catholic Church, our Catholic friends, they received a lot of criticism on social media because of their policies and conversations about serving communion to politicians. And I remember noticing that when all that was kind of a, a conversation, that, that someone of a different religion, not, not a different, you know, not like Baptists or Methodists, all, all within the same faith, just a whole different non-Christian religion, got on social media and was all high and mighty on how the Roman Catholic Church should do its sacraments. And well, oh, by the way, this is why churches should have to pay property tax. And, and so with all these folks with no dog in the fight, weigh in on what church is and why church is. Isn't it time for us to devote at least a few weeks to, to thinking about those questions and answering them well so that if, if you end up not buying what I'm selling, at least when you weigh in on social media with your opinions about what church is, that, then you will be having an informed opinion, not just something that, that you heard that sounds good one time. Because I, So I'm really hoping that this whole series of conversations, wh whether, whether you are someone who would consider yourself a church person or not, or a believer or not, it will really help you come to terms with this church. What is it for anyway? And those of you who know me well, you, you, you suspect that, that my answer, especially today, what well, the church, my answer won't be like, well, church is just a group of people who all like to get together because we all look alike and think alike. No, or, or church is, Church is a group of well-intentioned activists working hard against human trafficking or against hunger or working on behalf of racial unity. No. Or church is just, it's just a bunch of people doing good, just good people doing good. No. Now, all those may be outcomes of what church is, but they, they, may, they may all be godly things, but they're not the things of God. Because to answer the question, what is the church and why is the church? Doesn't it make sense to look in the biblical library to see what it has to say about this institution, this organization, this organism that we are at least somewhat connected to. And, and, and in the biblical library, 
There's this fascinating pattern that emerges in the letters that Paul, and remember, Paul, he's a pastor, he's a missionary, he's an author, he never met Jesus in person, he just met the resurrected Jesus. And there's this pattern in these, in these letters that he writes, and he writes letters to individuals, and he writes letters to churches about 20 or 30 years after Jesus's death and resurrection. And, and there is this fascinating pattern that, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, you know, I've been following Jesus for about 40 years and preaching for about 30 years. And I never noticed this pattern in Paul's writings until just the last 18 months or so. And some of you are thinking, that's the problem. But this pattern starts... Pattern starts in 1 Timothy. Paul writes a letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. And look at what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. It says this, that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. You may want to circle that word, which he entrusted to me to me. Chapter six, same letter. Chapter six, verse 20. Timothy, Paul gets personal with the recipient of his letter. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Over at second Timothy, chapter one and, and verse 11, of, uh, 11 and 12 of that book, this is the second letter that he writes to his son in the faith. And of this gospel, I, Paul says, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And that is why I am suffering as I am. The, these series of letters that we're looking at, this is, this is Paul's core. It's, it's where he tries to explain why he does what he does, why he's forsaken his family, why he's forsaken the religion of his birth, why he's traveled all around the Mediterranean world and been persecuted and been rejected and will ultimately literally lose his head. This is why I am going to be killed, he says. Verse 12, that is why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. This has been entrusted to me and I'm entrusting it back to him. Verse 14, same chapter, guard, he's still talking to Timothy, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And then Galatians, where Paul writes, not to an individual, but to a collection of churches in, in what's today Turkey. On the contrary, they recognize that I had been, what? Say it together. Entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, to the non-Jews, just as Peter been to, had been to the circumcised, to people who were Jewish. The, the, the pattern, has, it has all the subtlety of a hammer to the head, doesn't it? Entrusted, 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 entrusted. You, you have to be a knucklehead to miss it. And, and do you know, do, do you know what that word entrusted means now, but more importantly, what that word entrusted meant in ancient times, in, in Paul's day? It was a well-known word in Paul's day. And it was for, for a culture and a world where there were no banks. There were no bank vaults. There, there, was, no, there was no cryptocurrency, hello. There were no safe deposit boxes. There was none of that. And in that time, if you were a person of means, you had a stash of jewelry or you had a pot of gold and you had to travel, 
you couldn't put it in the bank deposit box to guard this, this, your treasure while you were gone. And so what you would do is you would find somebody, hello, that you trusted and you entrusted them with that treasure and their responsibility while they held on to that treasure while you were gone, gone was to guard it, protect it, make sure that no one could, could steal it. Their job was not to edit it, alter it, improve it. It was simply to guard and protect it and then to return it to you when you came home. That, and that was a word everybody knew and everybody used in those days. That's what this thing is, entrusted. And Paul says that, that, that his Mission, his core, and, and what he is, is the founder of so many churches. I mean, he's really speaking of his core. This represent the church's core, that that is exactly the role and the purpose of this thing called the church. And what is the treasure? I mean, if, if, if Paul says to Timothy and Paul says to the Galatians, if he describes his own life, hey, I am treasuring the treasure. Timothy, you treasure the treasure. What is the treasure? It's the gospel. And what, what's that? First Corinthians chapter 15 tells us verses three through five. Look at what it says. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which means Peter, and then to the 12. That's, that's the treasure. That's the gospel. It's, it's this history. And we don't make history. History makes us. It's this history of this invasion into planet Earth this invasion, and I love how we can think about it. I mean, this invasion, this history that makes us, it, it is incarnation. And that's a fancy word for God becoming flesh and walking on earth. It's instruction. When God became flesh and walked on planet earth, that's Jesus teaching us things like, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And crucifixion, and that's Jesus going to the cross to, to pay for our sins. It's resurrection. It's hallelujah. Jesus bursting forth from the grave three days later. It is ascension. A number of days after that, when, when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus actually did go up to heaven. And from there, that's where he reigns and that's where he rules. I don't know if you know that's where he is right now. And then the whole thing's gonna work out. It's all gonna pan out with completion. When Jesus comes back, that is the history. That is the treasure. That's the, the Christianity. I've told you this before. This is not based on philosophy. It's built on history, a history that we guard, that we protect, that we treasure. And Paul says, that's what the church is about. That the, the, the role of the church before it does any good works, before it sings any great songs, but, but before it does any massive projects, this is this history that if the church doesn't tell it, people won't know. And we, we can't figure this stuff out. God had to send it all down. 
And so when you, you realize that the, this kind of history and this gospel, because Paul keeps saying, guard it, guard it, protect it, protect it, lets you know it's always going to be under attack. And, and so here it is, Good Shepherd. Here, here you want to know what is, what is the church? Why is the church? What is the church? Here it is. The church protects the gospel in order to proclaim the gospel. The church defends the truth so we can declare the truth. We, we, we treasure this stuff called the gospel so that we can tell the gospel. That's what the church is. You, you declutter it from everything that churches have cluttered themselves with or that culture wants to tell the church what it needs to do. And it all comes down to that. The church protects the gospel in order to proclaim the gospel. See, this stuff, this stuff matters. Words matter. Words make worlds. Maybe you've heard about the little boy, he's a preacher's kid, and he'd grown up going to church, of course, and, and he'd heard all the fancy words that the church used, like salvation and justification and sanctification and crucifixion and all these Iction words and and so at, at school one day the the teacher asked him well honey do you know what procrastination means and the boy thought for a minute he says no but I'm sure our church believes in it <laughs> well we might but language matters and 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 by the way this. I don't know if you know this or not, but this is explains so much of why Good Shepherd is the way that it is, why we delight in teaching ancient truths, why, why the message doesn't change. The methods do. The message does not. And, and that's why we take this great delight in, in taking what is old and taking what is ancient and excavating it together so that we can celebrate together. We don't need to be trying to invent a new gospel. We inherit the gospel. And out of that inheritance, we get to proclaim the gospel. Because know this, Paul uses this language, guard that deposit, guard that deposit, Timothy, protect the gospel. Because Paul knew something then, it had started back then, and it continues today in, in, in real time in our life. He knew this, the gospel, the, the good news, news that saves News that is so offensive from the very beginning. Have you thought about that? The, the gospel is so offensive from the very beginning because it doesn't tell you, oh, you're a mistaker and you just need a teacher. No, it tells you you're a sinner and you need a savior. It tells you you're broken and you need a healer and it starts out offensively and it stays offensive. And I just want to offend people all the way into the arms of the king. And it starts out offensively and it continues to be offensive even as you grow in grace and you grow in faith. I mean, you learn your money's not your own, your body's not your own, your life's not your own. The world, the world, I, I saw this lengthy, lengthy thing on social media a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago. And a person, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is who I am. 
And the church answers gently. This is whose I am. This is who I am matters about that much. This is who I belong to. See, Pat, Paul knew the gospel would be under attack. It would be under assault. People from beyond would be trying to minimize it. And people from within, when, 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 when the church feels pressure from beyond, oh, the world doesn't like us, the world doesn't like our message, the world doesn't like our message, it becomes vulnerable to mutiny from within. And man, we've seen that in, in real time, it's just in recent decades in the church. There's been all kinds of reimaginings of Jesus and, and redefinitions of marriage and re-understanding of salvation. And it's so interesting, all, all these movements and whether, whether people in church land are trying to redefine marriage or reimagine Jesus, it always happens, always happens in places of comfort, like North America or Western Europe, where, where, we, where we're not really persecuted for being Christians, where we have schools of Christianity and people can sit around and think about all kinds of new theories and pontificate and they, oh, well, I am all, I am all, I, I'm a professor. I'm all of a sudden smarter than Paul and more enlightened than Moses. And it only happens in places of comfort and places of privilege. You go to places where the church is on the front lines of spiritual warfare, places like India, places like the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and they are so busy just trying to survive as people who belong to Jesus, they don't have time to reinvent the gospel. And know this, Good Shepherd, whenever, whenever the church modifies the word to satisfy the world, it does not win more converts. It only earns more contempt. And, and in our, whenever there is a temptation, oh, we got to water the gospel down. No, the church answers, no, it's time to heat it up. The church prepares, protects the gospel so that it can proclaim the gospel. Really, <laughs> we're, we're in the delivery business. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. Like Amazon, like UPS, Federal Express, we, we, don't, we don't make anything, neither does Amazon or UPS or whomever. We, we don't make anything. We take it from the, they take it from the source to your door. That's, that's all they do. They deliver. And if, and if they don't deliver according to your timeline, you get upset. Can I hear an amen for that? They, they deliver. That's the church, what the church does. We take it from the source, which is God's heart to the door of your heart. And along the way, we take this gospel and we don't edit it. We don't improve it. We don't upgrade it because that which was given to us is better than anything that we could ever think of. We, we're the couriers of the gospel. The church protects the gospel in order to proclaim the gospel. And I know some of you, you're like, oh, it's good. I'm glad Good Shepherd is the kind of church that it is. I'm, I'm glad it's taking what's old and, and just maybe putting it in some more modern packaging, but sticking with what's old. And y'all, you go, Talbot. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be in this church. Uh, no. 
When I talk about the church protects the gospel to proclaim the gospel, you're not an observer, you're a participant. You're not a fan, you're a player. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a player. <laughs> you're a player in this. See, you and you and you in your home and, and in your conversations and in your workplace, you treasure the treasure. You understand that when your life is built on incarnation and instruction and crucifixion and resurrection and ascension and completion, when that defines your life, you don't have to define yourself. Jesus has already done it for you and you get to be a participant, a player in all of that. This is not, <laughs> we excavate the gospel to celebrate the gospel and then we designate you to take it to the people whom you love and whom you know. That's why you were here a couple months ago. We had that series, Who is Your One? And Who is Your One is all about finding that person in your life, person or people in your life. And they need to know this story that if we don't tell it, they won't hear it. I guess ultimately it makes me think about this baptism that I heard about. And, and you know what this baptism involved? This was a, a family in, in Good Shepherd Church and they are part of the foster parenting system. And they foster children. So at least in part, not only to give them a safe place to live, but so that they can share what a living relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. So they foster the children, they protect the children, protect the gospel along the way. And in this case, gospel meets child and new life is the result. And that, my friends, is the church in a community pool in Fort Meal, South Carolina. That is the church. The church protects the gospel in order to proclaim the gospel. Let's pray. So Father, thank you for the ways that you have given us the gospel, the good news, not ours to inherit or upgrade or invent, but ours to inherit, yes, Lord, and to share. In Jesus' name, amen.